This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Hi, this is Michelle Nagel. Welcome to another episode of Roar to Win. And my guest today is Rick Petrie, who after nearly 20 years of arguing cases in America's courts, Rick now tours the country showing others how to win any battle they're fighting without throwing one punch. The creator of the Ultimate Success Coach System and Preeminence Consulting, Rick has worked with and been trained by some of the world's leading trainers and thought leaders, including Jack Canfield, Scott Harris, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and Dr. Shad Helmstetter. Rick's mission is to transform one million lives from quiet desperation to unlimited possibilities. A 20-year student of peak performance, Rick teaches techniques and strategies to help you accelerate your personal growth, the achievement of your most cherished goals, and the fulfillment of your highest aspirations for living a joyful, productive, and fulfilled life. So welcome, Rick. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here with you today. I am so glad that we were able to reconnect again. Yes, likewise. I'm excited. This is, this is going to be a good time. It's always nice to see you as well. Well, thank you very much. So um, the, the acronym ROAR is Resilience, Optimism, Accountability, and Resourcefulness. And I think that you've got quite a few stories in your life that, uh, that really apply to that. And we were having a pre-show uh, conversation that I really thought had a lot of value to it. You were talking about uh, neuroscience and how we look at one another and things like that. So I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about today. So, so am I. So Rick, tell me, what would you like most for your listeners to know? Mm, good question. You know, in today's world, I think one of the things that um, drives me the most is to get the message out to people that no matter where you may find yourself at this time in your life, whether it's a really good place or a place that's not so good, is the perfect time to begin a journey to the next place that you want to go. You know, so many people think that whatever their circumstances might be at this time, or even worse, looking backwards, something that's happened to them before really kind of controls their destiny. And that's simply not true. So, you know, I'm on a mission to let people know that wherever you are right now, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. It doesn't even matter what's happening at this very second. All that does matter is that you take control of your life, that you realize that you can create whatever future you want to create. And I know that it's possible because I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in the lives of lots of people. So that's really awesome. You started right off with optimism that anything is possible. So um, tell us where you've been and where you came from. How did you get from the way you used to be to how you are today? Yeah, so I grew up in a little town in eastern Washington called Spokane, Washington, for the <laughs> for the first uh, for the first four or maybe five years of going to school. I was the only African American kid in the whole school. Wow! And I only lived a half a block away from the school, but that didn't matter. 
um, because at the end of the school day, for the first four or five years, not every single day, but a lot, I'd get chased home from school because I was afraid. I didn't want to get beat up. And so finally, one day, it's a day I'll never forget, um, we used to get to school a little bit early in the morning and play on the playground, tetherball or foursquare, kickball or whatever. And then the bell would ring. That means, okay, kids got to go in and go to school. So bell rings. I was going into to school and I had my books and on the playground there was a puddle. I got right by the puddle and this other kid came behind me, wham, knocked my books in the puddle. And on that day I decided I'm not running anymore. I'm not going to run anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a big pivotal point in my life. Um, and so I continued on with my life. Everything was going pretty good. Started college. Thought I was going to be a football player, big-time football player. That didn't work out. But then I did get a job at a TV station as a sports photographer, so I was a smart guy that I was. I thought, well, I don't need to go to school anymore. So I quit. <laughs> <laughs> And then I realized that although it was a fun job, you couldn't really advance unless somebody quit or somebody died, and <laughs> nobody was doing either one of those. So now I'm kind of like in, you know, no direction whatsoever. And then that started me down a road that I wish, kind of in a way, I wish I wouldn't have gone down that road, but I, I guess in hindsight, you know, it's just part of my journey. And that landed me one day in court with a lawyer telling me, the best deal that you can ever get is to go to prison for three years because the police caught you and this other guy with $20 worth of drugs. And I thought, man, this is not the life that I thought I would have. I, as a you know, young kid, I dreamed about being a lawyer, but I didn't know any lawyers. There was, there was one person in our town that was African-American that was a lawyer, but there were no other people, that no doctors, lawyers, or, or anything other than barbershop, restaurant, something like that. Um, but I still thought, you know, I had that dream, but I, those things show up, you know, not good enough. Who do you think you are? All those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that dream just kind of got pushed down and buried. And, and now, you know, I'm in this courtroom, this guy's telling me three, you know, three years in prison. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is not right. I'm supposed to be the lawyer, not the guy going to prison. Well, the, to wrap this this up, um, I got a different lawyer, and I didn't end up going to prison, thank God. But it, it really inspired me to say, you know what? If this person can be a lawyer, so can I. People said, Rick, that would be impossible. How are you going to go from just about going to prison to being a lawyer? And I answered them, answered them honestly. I didn't know, but I knew I was going to do it. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but I made up my mind that this is what I'm going to do. And lo and behold, I did it. I became a lawyer um, against all odds. And so that's why I say to people, you know, it doesn't, I I mean, I started about the worst place you could ever start on a journey like that. And notwithstanding that, I was still able to accomplish my goal. So how did you get from the point of feeling that you weren't good enough and asking yourself, who do you think you are? And all of those kinds of questions to having that kind of determination that you were going to turn your life around. You know, it's going to sound simple, and it is simple, but it's not always easy. It, it, it all started just by making that decision, that mm-hmm. the things that I was doing, I wasn't going to do those anymore. And I set a new target for myself. Um, like I say, I had no clue how I was going to get there. And to be honest with you, you know, some days 
it was a, it was just a struggle to get from you know one hour to the next hour without reverting back to some of the old shenanigans that I was involved in. But if I could if if I couldn't get through the whole day, then I would say, okay, well let me just try to get through an hour. Mm-hmm. And if I can get through this hour, then I'll tackle another hour. Uh, and then over time, I started to realize, you know, each time I make, a, even if it's just a little tiny move, I'm that much closer to where I want to go and I'm that much further away from where I, I don't want to be. And I just kept doing that and doing it and doing it. And then I found a couple of professors that, that really believed in me. I had met them when I first started school. And so when I came back, now, 10 years later, I, I, I connected with them and I said, hey, I, I want to become a lawyer. Do you think I could? And they said, yeah. They said, where have you been? I told them. So what's your GPA now? 1.1. Ooh, that's not so good. So you're really going to have to work, but we think you could do it. And so I surrounded myself with people that believed it in me and I got away from the ones who, you know, weren't so good to hang around and I just kept on going. And, you know, a lot of times, I think it was Martin Luther King that says you don't have to see the whole stairway to get to the top. You just need to see the next step. So sometimes that's all I did. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, I'm making my notes. Uh, okay. So what you did is you took one step at a time Yep. and you surrounded yourself with a good community. So yeah. how, how important is community? Well, I think it's huge. You know, um, I'll answer it from a couple of different perspectives. One is just kind of a practical um, perspective If you're around a lot of people that can't see your vision or your dream, um, it can be real easy to let them kind of be the wet blanket, if you will, on your dream. And it's like just weigh you down and and really stir up those you're not enough thoughts, right? Because they don't see it. You might see it, but they don't see it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't realize that there's a reason they don't see it is because it's not theirs to see. It's yours to see. See, I believe that we all have a gift that we're all put here for some reason. We have a purpose. We may not understand it at first, but we're all special and unique, and we all have something that we're supposed to be doing. And when you find that, you know you can feel it because it just flows. But if you're around the wrong people, it won't flow. It's like there's all this resistance and barriers that are put up. Now, neurologically, what ends up happening is if you're around all these people and they keep telling you you're not good enough, who do you think you are? Same things they told me. It would be impossible. That's where the whole, for me, the whole impossible is nothing thing. That's where, that's where it came from because a lot of people told me you're, it would be absolutely impossible for you to become a lawyer. It's not going to happen. Don't waste your time. You're crazy. You're a fool. All of these things. I just chose not to believe them and to believe that it was possible, even though I didn't know how. I believed it. So when you hear those negative things neurologically, if you hear them enough and you, and you let them come in and you don't challenge them, it gets wired into your brain. And then you start to believe that it would be impossible. So you got to really be careful with the people that you hang around with. And, and I know I talk about this stuff a lot of times. Sometimes people start rolling their eyes or they check out. And I say, well, wait a minute. Let's, let me prove it to you. How many times have you had this happen? Maybe you're in the car. The radio's playing. Song comes on. You actually hate the song, but you're singing it. You know every lyric. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that happen? You didn't right. set out to learn the lyrics. In fact, you don't even like the song you hated, but you can sing it like a champ. Well, it happened because you heard it so many times it got wired into your brain. Now, next thing you know, 
you're singing it and you didn't even, it's, it's happened subconsciously. You're singing, don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's, this stuff is real. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great example of, um, all of the things that we say to ourselves and, and also uh, like Shad Helmstetter said that uh, what do you say to yourself when you talk to yourself? Right. Exactly. I mean, if, I, if I said some of the things to you that I say to myself, you probably would never speak to me again. <laughs> so you have to be really careful. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's so easy to, to kind of be just beat up on yourself and, and, you know, be very harsh on yourself. You know, you make a mistake. Well, it's called being a human being. You're going to make mistakes. But sometimes, you know, because of past conditioning, you make a mistake or you get into some sort of a situation or whatever, and you just beat the, beat the snot out of yourself. And it's, you don't have to do that. It's, it's not good for you. No, it definitely isn't. So you have been, um, or you were a lawyer for 20 years, and then what happened? Well, interesting question. So for 20 years, thereabout, every day, pretty much fighting with other lawyers. And, you know, I I handled a lot of criminal defense cases, so homicides and, you know, drug cases, all these kinds of things, a lot of personal injury stuff where people um, were getting hurt. And so I'm always in a fight. At the same time, I got married, and then the marriage didn't work out. I end up in a divorce, and I end up in probably the darkest place of my life, even way darker than where this whole conversation began when I was about to go to prison. And um, I was kind of trying to find my way. My my ex-wife, she had moved on with her life, the two kids. The kids were doing fine, but I was kind of spinning in in this story for a number of years. And I finally decided I got to I gotta get myself out of this. This isn't like me. Summertime, laying on the couch, sleeping in the middle of the day. That's just, that's, it just wasn't me. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I put myself back together? Because I felt like I had lost my identity. I definitely lost my direction, my motivation. It was all gone. I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, who am I? I mean, I'm not a husband anymore. I'm still a dad and a fam, family guy, sort of, but it's just not the same. And I just decided to take myself to a new place where I had never been before. And that was going to be the new trajectory of my life. And so then I started uh, thinking about becoming a motivational speaker. I had some old Tony Robbins tapes laying around. Uh-huh. And that kind of got me going a little bit. And I thought, man, this stuff's pretty good. I started listening to Wayne Dyer and all, and all these people because it was really helping me. I thought, well, man, maybe I could do this. And, and now I've got one foot in the lawyer world, another foot in this helping people world. And I started to feel like, man, do I want to fight every day? Because I'm fighting with everybody at some point. And I finally just decided, you know what? I don't want to fight anybody anymore. I just want to help people. And I want to help them in the biggest way I can. So um, now I'm at a law school. I help students. I coach students. I work with entrepreneurs. I work with everyday people. And I've committed the rest of my life to helping people live a better life um, based on the things that I learned that helped me live a better life. You know, basically now as I look back throughout my entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really wonderful. Um, and I guess I really never thought of that, um, the perspective of a, your life as a criminal uh, defense attorney 
that you would be fighting and you would also be, um, you would be in like the worst kind of mindset all the time. I mean, you'd, if you had to defend somebody in a murder case, I mean, that's not exactly a pleasant thing to have to be doing. So uh, it's interesting that you went from something that was, that was negative all the time to something that's positive all of the time. Yeah. And you know, it's in fairness, it, all, all of it wasn't bad. I mean, it, you know, in those murder situations or a lot of those situations, you know, when I was, you know, still in law school, that's when I did my first one with another guy. And I thought, man, this would be really cool. I'd be, you know, murder's highest, you know, high stakes game. I'm playing at the top of the game. And I thought it was really exciting. But after about the second or third uh, murder situation, you start to realize this is not good. This is bad. You know, you have somebody that's died and they have a family and their family's grieving and angry and all of these things. On the other side, you have a person who's alleged to have killed them and their family, and they're all grieving. So it's just, you know, it's all of this stuff. And even a lot of times where somebody gets hurt really bad, you know, and you're, you're there at a time where you're trying to help them put their life back together. I had one client real early in the morning, she was dropping her boyfriend off to go to work, and she did, and then she had uh, five kids in the car with her, and she accidentally drove into a pond, and the kids were in the car, and she couldn't get them out. So I get that call, and I'm there. So, I mean, it's just all of this stuff, and it's like, man, you know, if I could help people before they needed a lawyer, I would be, you know, it would just be a lot more fulfilling and it, and it wouldn't just wear me out either. So. Mm -hmm. so are you finding a difference energetically between um, when you went to work back then and when you go to work now? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's a, it's a totally different perspective. You know, now my my work is. It's just lifting people up and helping people and teaching people and, and showing people a new way. And, you know, I think sometimes we feel like, gosh, if I'm just pouring into somebody else all the time, what about me? Um, you know, I need, I need whatever I need too. But what I've found is the more I give to others, I feel better by far. The more I give, the better I feel. The more people I help, the better I feel. The more success they have, the better I feel. And so it just, yeah. I just keep pouring in and pouring in and they pour, it pours right back into me. So it's just, it's really, really cool. Yeah. Isn't that great how that works? Um, people have said to me when I'm, when I'm doing a seminar or something like that is, oh, you must be exhausted. And I'm going, no, I'm ready to take on the world. This is <laughs> the best thing. <laughs> so yeah, my feet might be complaining, but that's about the only part. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I did a workshop this morning, a two-hour workshop. Now I'm here. I'm going to do another one this afternoon. So it's uh -huh. like, yeah, it's just you, you know, and, and, and the, from, from the perspective point of view, at first I thought, okay, if you're going to be a speaker, you got to be a really good speaker. you got to show them how good you are. And I worked with someone, and he said, Rick, no, that's the wrong perspective. He said, it's not about you at all. It's about them. And all your job is, is to pour into them. Give them everything that you have that you have to give that day about that thing. And if you do that, you've done your job. And it took all the pressure off me of trying to be this great, polished speaker. I've done a lot of it now, so I, I guess I'm probably pretty good at it. But I never have to worry about that. I'm just there to serve. I'm just there to help. And the more I can help, like you said, the better I feel.
Yes, and there's, um, I noticed because we have been in events together before, uh, when I'm around you, I feel that you're always coming from a, a service of love. You've got so much love in your heart. And um, I think that that's also something that's really important when we consider um, how we're serving other people. Are we serving them for that glory and fame or are we serving them because we love them? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because with the leadership work that I do now, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for a shift in the paradigm for leaders that it's no longer about, you know, because you have some sort of a position or a title that that makes you a leader. That doesn't make you a leader at all. That just means you have that position because if you're the person who's saying you got to do this because I'm the boss or else, you're not leading anybody. You're, you're, you're just pushing people. You're not leading them. Right. A leader supports people, you know, coaches them, helps them, provides a safe environment for them, wants to see them do the best that they can possibly do. And so you're, you're absolutely right. If you come from a place of love, and for years people in business would say, love has no place in business. It's all about the numbers. Well, guess what? How do you produce the numbers? You have to have people produce them. And if they don't think you care about them, they're not going to be fully engaged or invested. So love is really, I mean, that's where it's at for us to continue as human beings to continue to evolve. You know, we have to realize that we, there's so much about us that's the same. And the stuff that's different about us, who cares? Who cares if you like a hot dog and I like a hamburger? That doesn't make any difference. <laughs> I don't like either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. So we're going to take a quick break and then um, come back again to continue our interview with Rick Petrie, who is has some really great perspectives that I really think is important for you to hear about. So give us a few minutes and we'll be right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel at Roar to Win. And our guest today is Rick Petrie, who after 20 years of arguing cases in America's courts, he now tours the country showing others how to win any battle they're fighting without throwing one punch. So how do they do that, Rick? Well, you know, it's nice when you can win a fight or, or without having to throw a punch. And the best way to do it, you know, is to realize your power. You know, Roar to Win is the name of this podcast. 
And, you know, once you realize the power that you have over yourself, over your circumstances, it's like, it's like the, it's like the lights coming on. It's like you coming out of the dark, you know, so sometimes, you know, we all can fall into this where we feel like I'm just a victim of circumstance. Um, you know, I was just born this way. This is just the way I am. I hear a lot of people say, well, Rick, I'm, that's just the way I am. Mm-hmm. And, um, or, you know, this is all life, you know, gave me. And I get that because that's where you are now. But when you're in that position, basically what you've done is you, you have this power and you've given it away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it could be in a relationship, right? And, and you give your power to the other person in the relationship. And they say this and this and this, and you're trying to keep them happy. It could even be in an employment relationship, same thing. And you're trying to keep them happy, so you just do stuff to try to keep them happy, even though it makes you not happy or maybe feel like terrible, and you just give it away. But once you take that back, it's like it's like this big revelation that comes to life that, you know what? It doesn't matter what's going on. I can still do whatever I have to do. Does that mean you just run in a straight line? No. When I was on my journey, it wasn't a straight line from nearly going to prison to becoming a lawyer and then, you know, traveling across the U.S. and all these other cool places to share this stuff with people. There was a lot of zigzags along the way. I fell down, I made mistakes, I got back up, and I kept on going. You know, that's the resilience part of the work that you do. Mm -hmm. But you just keep on going. So you just make adjustments, you surround yourself with great people, you set a goal, because that was a big part of it for me is, you decide, okay, I'm not going to do this thing anymore, and I'm going to do that. If you don't have the that, you stop the thing that you don't want to do anymore, but there's a vacuum there. Right. So you don't have a direction. You're not going anywhere. And, you know, that can be a real problem. So you got to, you know, you got to kind of, you got to set a new target for yourself and, and just keep on going, man. You just got to keep on going. So how does accountability fit in there? Accountability can be huge because on those days where I don't feel like it or the self-talk kicks in and it's negative, uh, you're not good enough. Who do you think you are? Especially as you kind of start moving up, as you get closer. Like if you set a big goal for yourself, I mean a really big one. At first it's like, man, this is so big. I don't even know if I can believe in it, but I'm going to try. And (laughs) as you kind of move up levels, stuff starts to kick in again. So you need to have someone there that can hold you accountable to make sure that you stay on track and you keep doing what you need to do because it's real easy to yourself. You can justify not doing it right or putting it off or whatever, you know, I'm too tired. I'm too busy. It's too hard. It's whatever. Now it's a different kind of self-talk, but that kind of stuff's not going to produce the results that you want. So you got to keep yourself moving and that's where accountability comes in. And I've been, blessed. I went through Train the Trainer in 2014, and a, a guy named Bill Hyges asked to be my accountability partner. We started, we've been going together as accountability partners ever since, Monday through Friday, for four years, and thank God for Bill. Uh-huh. I have an accountability partner like that, too. Her name is Melinda Irvine. And, right uh, we've been accountability partners since 2015, so... Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's it's really wonderful um, to have somebody who who will say um, you said you would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because what in your experience, what happens when you don't 
keep your commitment to yourself. I mean, there's no way that I would back out on a commitment to anybody else, but I do it to myself all the time. And what happens when we do that? Yeah, well, a, a number of things happen. One, you don't get things done. Um, but even deeper than that, you, you know, you make this commitment. And even if it's one that, let's say, with your accountability partner, you didn't share with, your, with that person. You just made it to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you don't do it. Well, guess what? You start to view yourself as somebody that doesn't keep the, your commitments. Even though nobody else, you start judging yourself as like, I'm not worthy. I, I said I was going to do this and I didn't do it. So it'll affect your self-esteem. It will affect your self-confidence. Neurologically, you start to wire that into your own brain and you start to see yourself and think of yourself as someone that doesn't do it. So then when you, you want to do something else, those old tapes start to kick in. Well, you know, well, you remember last time you said you're going to do it. You don't do it. You know you don't. You never do anything that you say you're going to do. So why do you think you're going to do it this time? All that stuff bubbles back up again. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's really real. Even though no one else knows about it, you know about it. Yeah, and it's really important that um – when we when we start keeping commitments to ourselves, then we can start reaching our goals. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that um, I think is a, a lesson that is difficult for people to understand and, and to hang on to because when we, you know, kind of disregard ourselves, nobody else knows about it, like you said. I mean, you're not going to have... Uh, some an angry other person call you up and chew you out because you didn't do what you said you were going to do. But we do that to ourselves all the time. And so that would be one of the things I think that would be really important. How would an individual get in the habit of keeping the commitments to themselves? You know, one of the things that really helped me and, and this is still with um, accountability is I started using something called the rule of five. And basically the way it works is it, I usually do it either the night before or real early in the morning when I first wake up. I think about, okay, what are the things that I want to get done that I commit to getting done the next day? And I write them down. I use, um, I use an iPad and there's an app called Evernote, but you could use anything. You could even use just a piece of paper. But I actually write down, here are five things that I commit to do tomorrow. and and then, you know, I, I go through and I check them off or scratch them off. or whatever, And it feels really good to check them. Or now I figured out a way to write done and it gives you a big green check mark. So I like to see the check marks. <laughs> okay. So it feels really good. But, you know, you have, to, um, you have to come up with a system. That rule of five works really well for me. Um, to, but in, and it also helps you get organized. And but it can also be a little bit of a trap if you're not careful. So people sometimes have a to-do list and they put stuff on there and they say, okay, these are all the things I'm going to do. I'm going to get serious now, doggone it. I'm going to attack my goals and I'm going to go get them. And they put things on that list that they say they're going to do the next day, but they don't really think about how much time is it going to take? Do I have the resources that I need to get that done? But they put them on there and then the day goes through and some of those things don't get done. Well, it may not be because you weren't committed to getting them done. It might be just that that thing was too big. It couldn't get done in a day, and you need to chunk it down, make it into smaller pieces mm -hmm. to actually get things done. So, you know, having some sort of a system where you, you get committed, you write the stuff down, it's right there in front of you, 
And then you say, okay, I'm going to do it. And then let's say you have five and you get four done, you didn't get five. Well, you know, you could beat yourself up and say, well, yeah, you got four done, but you didn't get the fifth one done. So you're still a loser. (laughs) Great (laughs) self-talk. Yeah. Hey, I got four of the five done. You know, that's, that's good. The the fifth thing, I'll just carry it over. I'll, I'll get after that tomorrow. Yeah, that's one of the things that I do notice is that um, oftentimes my, because I do the rule of five too, but sometimes my five stretches onto 10 or one of the things I'll put in there is, is just absolutely too huge to accomplish in one day. Yeah. So um, it does, it does kind of, you have to figure out the system of being able to make them small enough that you can actually do them and yet relevant enough that they move you forward towards your goals. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, putting laundry on your list probably is not moving you forward in your in your business or bigger life goals, but it needs to be done, but it's not one of the things that you would stick on your list. Right. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in that thing, right, where you say, God, I'm just really busy, man. I'm just doing all this stuff and all this stuff, and, but I still frustrated because like, I don't feel like I'm moving the needle. Well, okay, let's take a look at what you're doing. What did you do? Well, I cleaned my desk and I organized my papers and I sorted my paper clips and all this kind of stuff. It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. But if you, you know, if you have a system, like you say, it, it makes you start thinking more, okay, well, what are the things that I really need to do to move the needle? And what are other things? Yeah, I need to, you know, I need to wash the dishes and wash the clothes and let the dog outside. I, I know that stuff, but those aren't things that I'm intentionally doing to keep me growing and moving. So. You, you, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, resourcefulness. I mean, do you have any insight into how, well, where do people find their resources? Because especially if, if you find yourself stuck, you can't see any way out. How do you kind of generate the resourcefulness? How did you find the money to be able to go to law school when you had just, come out of almost going to prison yourself and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that I think people, um, and I'd love to share this with people is there's a difference between having resources and being resourceful. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, depending on where you start, you may not have a whole bunch of resources, you know, at hand, you may not have a lot, lot of money. I, I didn't have hardly, I had hardly any money when I started. But it doesn't necessarily just mean money. It could mean anything that you need. If you don't have what you need, then your job is to find what you need. And it's amazing how, when you are committed, how things start to show up. Um, Let's dive into neurocircuitry for a minute. There's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system, and it basically serves as a filter, and it lets relevant information into your brain and it keeps non-relevant information out of your brain. So when you are the person who thinks you can't, then your brain will go out. There's something else called a confirmation bias. So your brain will find all sorts of evidence and proof and information that's consistent with, nope, you can't. It will find it. It's out there. But if you believe that you can, guess what? The reticular activating system opens up and it starts looking for those kinds of things. And even at night, I've done this so many times, it's really, really cool. Like if you're trying to figure out something, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So you could go to bed and sleep on, I can't do it. And overnight, you wake up the next morning convinced that, yep, you're right, you can't. Or you could go to bed and you could ask a question to yourself, 
I wonder how I could do this. What, what could I figure out? Who might be able to help me with this? And lo and behold, oftentimes you wake up and you'll have the answer. But even if that doesn't do it like right in that moment, once you open up and you start being comfortable asking people to help you, people will, will help. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had so many people help me along the way. I mean, even with my accountability partner, Bill's a pastor. I would have never thought in a million years I would be talking to a pastor every morning. Now, we don't talk like I'm going to church, but just to have that kind of a relationship, he just showed up in my life at the perfect time. I mean, honestly, and I, I've said this to Bill, when we first connected, I didn't think it was going to work. It was an assignment. We did it. Okay, great. But mm-hmm. no way that I think four years you know, down the road we'd still be added, and, you know, he's He's been there for me, you know, through thick and thin. You know, I, my mother passed. He, his dad passed. We were there for each other. But it's just those things show up if you're open to it and if you're willing to ask. Now, people, fear shows up when you talk about asking for stuff. Well, I'm afraid if I ask somebody who's going to say no. So I'm afraid of being rejected because I've been rejected before and it felt terrible. I don't want to feel that way again. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes you can reframe rejection and just, you know, Jack Canfield, somebody that we've both worked with, says reject rejection. And it, and it works. It's like, okay, I didn't have it then. I don't have it now. Nothing's really changed. I'm going to ask somebody else, and I'll keep asking until I get it. But, you know, that's, be, that's being resourceful. That's a long one to answer about it, but that's how you do it. Yeah, I actually had an experience like that yesterday. I needed something and I was I had no idea who to ask. I had no idea where to get what I needed. Yeah. And um I was just kind of sitting there going like, well, you know, and I'm thinking about people, do is it this person? Is it this person? Is this person? And then this guy walked in front of me and I'm going, ask him. And I'm going, I don't even know him. Why would I ask him? Yeah. And um and so then I decided that I wouldn't ask him because after all, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself. So I started to walk toward my car and I had this thought come and that says, why do you ask for promptings if you're never going to do anything with them when I give them to you? Oh. And I'm going, oh, sorry. <laughs> I turned around and I went and I asked the gentleman for what it was that I needed. He was thrilled to give yeah. it to me. Yeah. And, and he was the perfect person as well. He gave me so much more than really what I thought I needed. Yeah. And, and it just comes because, you know, I went through all of, the, all of the excuses of, oh, I can't ask him. I don't know him well. I've only seen him a couple of times. He's not responsible for this. You know, it's just all of the excuses that I was making on his behalf as yeah. to why I yeah. wasn't going to ask him. And yet when I finally did, he was thrilled to help me. And it was exactly and more than what I needed. Yeah. So we yeah. need to get in the habit of uh, listening when, when promptings from God or the universe or whichever you believe in kind of goes, talk to that person. Yeah. We have to respond to them. Yeah. I say to law students a lot here, you know, don't say no to yourself before you give the other side a chance to say yes. Yes. At least give them the chance. And there, there are lots of people out there, you know, depending on where they're at in their journey, you know, helping someone else could be the most meaningful thing in the world to them. But mm-hmm. if you never ask, then, you know, you don't get the benefit of it and you deny them, you know, the joy of being able to help somebody else. So I, I, you're, you're spot on the money, my friend. 
Yeah, and also there, um, I also had another experience where I, I needed something from somebody, but I had to go through somebody else to get it. Mm-hmm. And the, the middleman told me that it was not possible, that it was too soon, I couldn't do it. And finally, I got to the point of where I said, please turn the paperwork in. I want them to tell me no. Yeah. And in, it was like a boomerang. They got it, and four days later, it was back in my hand, approved. Wow. <clears throat> you know, we never know. And if we just give up at the first sign of resistance, yeah. then we're going to miss out on all sorts of opportunities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you just have to, you know, that's another place where, you know, fear shows up is when you're stepping out into the unknown um, because you don't know what might happen, right? So when you get into that the area of the unknown, it's real easy to say, well, wait a minute, I, I got I to gotta pull back because I feel safe over here. Mm-hmm. But if you just continue to feel safe in that zone, you're never going to grow. You know, right. you got to get into the unknown. You got to push yourself out there. If you want to change, if you want to do something different, that's, that's where it's all at is out there in the unknown. That's, but, you know, I think you nailed it when you said, you know, you never know how the universe or God or, or whatever you might believe in will show up for you. But I know one thing, it may not come, you know, exactly when you say I need it, but it'll be there right on time every time. Yeah, we we do have to, um, what do they call it, divine timing? Yeah. Uh, because I have something that I'm working on right now that I want now, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the answer that I keep getting is be patient, be patient, be patient. And I'm going, I am being patient, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we do have to realize that we have to do our part, but we are ultimately not in control. <laughs> Yeah, you, I mean, you, you're in control to a certain extent, but then there are certain things that just show up and you, you can't control that. So you have to make adjustments then and keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? Yeah. So how did you go from, I mean, you said that you listened to a bunch of um, Tony Robbins, Wayne, Dwyer, Wayne Dyer. I always have trouble saying his name. Yeah. Um, and you went from just listening to what they had to say on, on uh, tapes and, and videos and, and DVDs and things like that. But how did you get from the point of, wow, this is great. This is how I'm going to change my life to this is what I want to do. Yeah. So I, um, in that journey, you know, after the, the marriage kind of fell apart and I was in that funk, um, it's, it's talking about things showing up. I went to this little conference, and uh, this guy, Jack Canfield, was talking. He was one of the speakers, a whole bunch of speakers. And he was talking about being a teacher in the inner city of Chicago and working with a lot of African-American students. And he said, he, I had this self-esteem program that I was sharing with them. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool, man. I, I like working with kids. I had done a lot of coaching, like basketball and football coaching with kids up until that point. Um, and so after Jack finished talking and he went out in the hallway and, and I came out of the conference and I, I found him and I, and I asked him if it would be okay if I talked to him for a minute. And he said, yeah, I said, you know, I, I heard you talk about that self-esteem thing. And to be real honest with you, my self-esteem's in the garbage right about now, but I was wondering if you might be willing to, you know, tell me about, you know, that stuff so I could help myself and and I love to work with kids and maybe I could help them too. And he said, to my surprise, he said, yeah, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to share it with you. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, send me an email. He said, my t I'm really busy. It might take a while for me to get back to you, but I will. And then he said, well, I also have this other program. Maybe you might be interested in that. And I asked him about that, and I said, yeah, that sounds good. What I thought the program was was just where you go and learn how to be a, a motivational speaker because that's all I was had my mind on at the time. What I didn't realize is in the program – yeah, you could learn how to speak, but you also had to do the work. <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> yeah, man. And I mean, it was, it was crazy because it's like, this is not what I came here for. But there was just something about Jack that just resonated with me. And, you know, and like I say, you know, up until that point, you know, my self-esteem had taken a pretty good hit. And I was trying to figure out how to, you know, fix that and get myself back up and going. And I started doing the work a little bit, but not really a little bit. And I remember one day thinking, Rick, if you're going to really do this, and it was like I think the message that you said you had, it came to me and said, if you're going to do this, you have to go all in or you got to get all out. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was like a choice. It's like you can do it or not. It's what I want you to do, but it's up to you. And I decided to, to make the commitment, and I went all in. And, you know, at first I wasn't so good. I was probably bad, you know, um, but I just kept on going. And it's, I've learned now that, you know, anything that you try to do to get from point A to point B, if it's something that you've never done before, there's this part in the middle, I call it the, the messy middle. The military calls it the suck. <laughs> and while you're in there, it sucks because it's bad. You know, you, like I had seen really good speakers, so I knew what that was supposed to look like and sound like, but I wasn't there yet. I was just kind of fumbling around and, you know, Jack was teaching me all these things and I was kind of fumbling around with it. I wasn't very good, but I just kept on going and kept on going. And pretty soon you kind of, you kind of get deeper into the messy middle and it starts to get a little bit better, but still not as good as you want it. But then you keep on going pretty soon your skill level gets up to match your taste level, and now you're pretty good, but you got to go through that messy middle to get there. That's the only way. You know, musicians do it, athletes do it, actors, uh, all, everybody that's engaged in doing that kind of thing, they all have to go through that. What we want to do, we want to go from bad to excellent, like boom, right now. Right. But that's not how it works. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the, the difficult things is to hang in there when you get to the messy middle because it's, it's often very painful. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, what I found, this was really interesting. I found first when you go into the unknown, now you're doing stuff that you don't know how to do, and that's uncomfortable. It's not painful yet, but it's uncomfortable because you don't know what to expect. You don't, you don't know much. And then you go a little bit further. Now you're into it, and now the pain starts to show up. But that's just process pain. That's what I call it's process pain. It's temporary pain, and it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It feels bad at the beginning because you don't understand what it is. But it's actually a good thing because that is feedback telling you that you're doing this new thing. You're in it now. You're, you're, you're a little bit past the unknown. Now you're in it. And you're growing, but it's painful. Like the law students here, you know, when they first start out, they don't know anything about the law. Most of them, some do, but most don't. And there's a steep learning curve. They got to learn how to read these cases and think like a lawyer and write like a lawyer and, and all this stuff. That's a lot. 
And now they're like, man, this sucks, man. I'm tired. I'm, I don't know if I can do it. But that's part of the process. So as you go through the messy middle, pretty soon that process pain starts to fade away as you get better. Next thing you know, you're pretty good, and that process pain's gone now. It's just, it's just temporary. Versus if you don't do it, because there's pain there too, there's pain in not doing what you want to do, and there's pain, you're in pain, and you get nothing for that pain. And that pain can be, it can be permanent if you don't change. You're still in that pain, and if you get nothing for it, that you're in pain. You feel bad because you're not doing what you want to do. You're in a situation that you hate. It's painful. But it would be hard to change. It would be painful to change. Yeah, I get it. You got pain over here, pain over there. Pain here, you're getting nothing for it. You have process pain over here. You work your way through it. Now you're in a better place. So, yeah, it can be painful. But, man, if you if you just think about it, that pain is just temporary. And what it's going to produce for you, if you hang in there, if you work your way through the middle, if you do what the military says, embrace the suck, and you come out the other side, Oh boy, now it's getting good. Now, now we're rolling, but you're right. You got to work your way through it. Sometimes it's kind of like um, our way of proving that we really want something, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it will test your, your, your will and your commitment, your determination will definitely be tested on your journey. And it doesn't matter what your journey is. It, it will be tested. Um, we talked earlier about, you know, when you make these commitments to yourself and you don't honor them, how does that affect you? Well, the flip side of that is also true. When you make these commitments and you work your way through the sucker, work your way through the messy metal, and you stay there and you accomplish it, man, it feels so good. And your confidence just soars. Your self-esteem changes. Like I see myself as a person who, if I make the commitment, I'm going to do it. And guess what? Even in those situations where nobody else knows, the reality of it is, if that's the way you behave in that situation, you probably don't behave some other magical way in other situations. It's probably something that's consistent. So, you know, other people start to see you differently too. Believe me, when I was starting back where I started, you know, there would be times I'd be doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing. I thought nobody knew. Well, guess what? The only one that I was hiding it from was me. Everybody else knew. I just didn't think they knew, but they knew. So right. it's the same thing. But, man, you, you get into this new situation. You stick with it and you, you make it happen. Man, it feels so good. And you're like, if I did it that time, I think I can do it again. I can tackle something else. Yeah, it's always amazing. We, we think we're so good at hiding things from other people. Yeah. But they do. They always know. And I have, have a, a situation where somebody thinks they can hide a whole bunch of things from a whole bunch of people. And uh, one of my friends said, do they really think we're that stupid? Because, yeah. but people aren't. Uh, we, we observe each other so much. And, yeah. and we can also, you know, be a tremendous example for other people. So I, I imagine that you have managed to inspire thousands of people with the turnaround that you've made in your life. Do you ever meet people who knew you back when you were getting in trouble? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting because even some of the people that I was running around with, then, you know, as time went on, we kind of went our separate ways. But with, um, with social media, you know, a lot of um, those people, we've kind of reconnected. And they're like, man, I don't know how in the world did you do that? Mm -hmm. And I tell them the same thing because it's, it's just the truth. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just made up my mind. And, you know, thank God I had a mother and father that they, they're about the only people that 
they kind of believed in me a little bit, but they had seen so many things go haywire that I'm sure in their heart. Oh, Rick, you just disappeared. Kept on going. <laughs> you just disappeared there for a second. We lost you. Oh. So you were telling me about your mother and father. Yeah. So they, you know, they still kind of believed in me, even though, you know, they had been with me on this ride from the beginning and, you know, they had been disappointed. In fact, my mother told me one time as she went to church, she was, you know, big into going to church and she went to church and she went to, to pray for me and just cried like, you know, she was heartbroken. I broke her heart because of all this, you know, trouble and everything else that I was getting into. But she still did believe in me some because I was her son. And, um, you know, with that, that really, me knowing that I had broken her heart, I, I never wanted to do that again. Mm. And me knowing that at least somebody believed in me a little bit, you know, it was my mom and dad and then those two professors, you know, that's what made it possible because the people that I was with, they, they said it was, I was crazy. And so now to see them, you know, all these years later, um, you know, they wonder, you know, man, how, how could you do it? I tell them it's not too late for you. You can still do it. You just, you know, pick something that you want to do and then let's get busy. I'll help you. You know, I'll be your biggest cheerleader. I'll be your coach. I'll be your fan. I'll share what I've learned with you, whatever it takes. Let's just make it happen. Yeah. And that's an important point. It never really is too late. I, yeah. I find it really, really sad. Somebody said to me recently, um, it, it's too late. It's just too late. And, and my heart just broke. It was, no, it isn't. It's not too late. You don't have to settle for, you don't have to settle for mediocrity or even failure. It's not ever too late. Yeah. So yeah. Rick, what would be the, the final thing that you would like our listeners to know? I would just like them to know, let's, let's just kind of keep on going on, on what we talked about. No matter where you are in your life right now, no matter what's happened to you in your past, wherever you are right now is the exactly the perfect place to start a new journey. Believe in yourself. Believe that whatever it is that you want to do, we all have something that we're called to do. Believe that it's possible, even if you don't know how. So don't get hung up on trying to figure out how at the beginning because you you may not be able to figure that out. And for some people, they say, well, if I can't figure out how, then there's no way I could do it. No, don't worry about the how. Just make the commitment to do it. Believe in yourself. Believe that it's possible. And then start finding some people that you can surround yourself with that will support you, that will be your cheerleaders, that will be there when maybe you don't know yourself if you can do it, that will say, yeah, you can, man. Come on, man. pick yourself up. Come on, we, let's keep going. And just keep on going. You know, when you fall down and make a mistake, don't beat yourself up. Get up and keep on moving. When something shows up and it's an obstacle, don't let it stop you. Just make an adjustment. Keep on moving. You know, that's the key to living literally the life of your dreams. I know some people think it's a cliche, but it's really not. I mean, I've seen it happen in my life on multiple occasions. I've helped other people make their dreams come true. And if there's anything I can do to help you make your dreams come true, it would be this advice that I'm sharing with you now. It's simple, not always easy, but it can definitely happen. That's awesome, Rick. And how can our listeners uh, get a hold of you if they're interested in connecting with you? 
Yeah, they can find me on the internet at www.rickpetriespeaks.com. Petrie is spelled P-E-T-R-Y. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. You've given us, I, I've really enjoyed this time with our interview, so thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm honored, and I'm humbled to be able to serve. Okay, take care. Likewise, Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.